0: what is up what is up ladies and gentlemen it is monday and you know what time that means that's right i'm back ellen it is coffee with colin so grab your coffee or your adult beverage i am so excited to be back here it is october 19th and we are starting a brand new season of coffee with colin season two and it has been awesome so season one was great. It was awesome. This one is going to be even better. And uh, it's been so great to see this community grow over the past few weeks. Hello, Jeff from Alberta, Canada, and uh, everyone else out there in Facebook and YouTube land. Just want to say hello to all of you out there. And I uh, hope you guys are doing well. So it's been a few weeks since we've been here. And uh, in the meantime, I've been busy creating a lot of really cool content. I uh, did another Inspire course and I uh, have a uh, a bunch of people that are joining me in my patreon community so if you're looking to connect with this amazing community of people from all over the world if you're looking for some motivations or some inspiration please reach out to me you can uh go to my website colinanglesfield.com and get connected in that way and also again we're here season two coffee with colin and this show is all about inspiration motivation all my guests on here, I really like to take a really deep dive look at what makes them do what they do. What are, the, what are, what are, the, what are their passions? What are their fears? What are, what are the things that stand in the way of them going out there in life and accomplishing their goals and their dreams? And uh, you know what? It's all about just going out there putting your best foot forward and just pursuing what matters to you. And over the next few weeks, I'm gonna have a bunch of really great guests on here. So tonight, I know a lot of you were expecting Mr. Sam Smith to be on the show, but you know what? As things turn out, you know what? It's things just, life happens and uh, Sam wasn't able to make it tonight, but we're going to have him on in a few weeks and in the meantime, one of my good friends, Chris Mazder, who is an Olympic medalist, is uh, we bumped him up a couple of weeks early, so he's going to be on the show tonight. And you're going to want to stay tuned because we do have something Sam Smith related that, you know what, may even top having Sam Smith on the show to begin with. So just uh, a little bit about Mr. Chris Mazder. I met him a few weeks ago. I was uh, offered the opportunity to go speak at a health and wellness summit in Utah. And uh, Chris is someone who has been, um, he's been an Olympic athlete for, I think now like 15 years and he is someone who's just an amazing guy, incredibly inspirational, and I can't wait to have him on here to talk to him about what made him uh, want to become a luge. I don't even know how you say it. How do you do it? luge? Uh, whatever it is that makes you want to be a luge. Like, uh, do you play luge? Do you do luge? Anyway, let's have him come on here. So without further ado, please put your hands together for Mr. Chris Mazder. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Mazdor. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Colin. How you doing?
1: Welcome to Coffee with Colin. Oh, I'm doing awesome. And yeah, it's uh, I like to think of luge as ultimate sledding. Uh, So yeah, we play luge, we do luge, I'm a slider, but really, it's just ultimate sledding. You just kind of pick it up when you're six years old, maybe four. And uh, yeah, I, I still go sledding for a living, which is pretty awesome.
0: I mean, that is pretty awesome. I mean, a lot of people have been asking me, so like, how does someone get into into luge? And that's not something that we as Americans are really, uh, you know, it's not something that's really popular here in in the United States. And you are actually the first and only, I believe, United States uh, male medalist in the luge. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So there's three different disciplines in luge. Uh, there's men singles, which is what I do. There's women singles, which I uh, I don't do. And then there's doubles. Uh, So I've actually, I'm the only non-European medalist in uh, men's singles. It's it's European-dominated sport, so it's pretty cool to break that uh, really long trend. And uh, yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned, how do you get into luge? And how I got into luge is a little different than most people. So when I was eight years old, my friends and I, we saw the movie Cool Runnings. If you haven't seen it, it is a classic. John Candy's awesome. And growing up in northern New York by Lake Placid, uh, we had access to Illusion bobsled track at eight years old. So we went there and everyone wanted to do bobsled because that's like the cool thing. John Candy, you have the Jamaican bobsled team. They have a little jingle that goes with it. But the problem was the line was really long and you're only driving half the time. The other time, like half, you're sitting in the back just, just hanging on. The turnover was really slow, so you only drove one or two runs a night. Um, but there is this other sport uh, that was kind of tucked up in the woods a little bit that people weren't going to, and that was called Luge. And if I ran from the bottom back to like where we started, I could get ten runs a night. So pretty simple. Two this, runs was for 10 runs.
0: this was Lake Placid where the was it the nineteen
1: eighty Winter
0: Olympics and thirty
1: two. Don't forget about the thirty two Olympics. Oh, 32,
0: uh, Lake Placid toasted
1: twice. All right. So this was already, I mean, so this was essentially in your backyard. Yeah, it was about an hour away. And uh, luckily there was enough kids where like the parents would just like take turns bringing all of them up, like on a cold Wednesday night to Lake Placid to do bobsled and luge. So that's how you go from an apple orchard to the bobsled luge track.
0: Okay. So if you can describe to us, what is a luge sled? Like, how big is it? What, you know? So they're yeah, about 50 pounds. Flat board, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, um, think of it like it's a, a sled. It has runners that you put your feet on top of, and you lay back, head back. You're trying not to look because that's more aerodynamic. Uh, basically, it's like a flexible flyer. Uh, if you ever had those growing up, I grew up in winter. I know, no, I know not everybody grew up in winter, but it's basically just an oversized sled. Um, that's you know, it, there's so much technology that goes into a sled, as simple as it sounds, but it's just a highly over-engineered sled that goes fast, <laughs> made out of fiberglass, carbon fiber, uh, wood. And then what holds it all together are like metal bridges that connect everything.
0: Okay. And how fast do you actually get on this thing?
1: So every track is different. My fastest is 93 miles an hour. That was in Whistler, Canada. So it's uh, it's pretty quick. And it's not like we're going in a straight line. We're going through corners, pulling up to 5Gs. Uh, it's a blast. It's a full commitment. Like what? If, if you ever like lose concentration, it's over. You have to be fully committed, top to bottom, anywhere from 40 seconds to a minute long, and it's a blast.
0: Okay, so you're um, you're at the top of, so like, run a story. You're at the top of this, like, how tall is the actual luge
1: track? It's, a, it's about a mile long. Um, so it's about a mile long. It can drop up to like 450 uh, feet, but it's just a tunnel of ice for that entire mile. And, okay. uh, yeah, it's, it's fast. It's fun. Okay, so obviously
0: you're wearing, like, aerodynamic spandex
1: right oh yeah yeah. It's, uh, it's tight in all the wrong places it's not warm uh, it's definitely form-fitting yeah because it's all about aerodynamics so it's uh, <laughs> not the most comfortable thing but it's, it's all about going fast that's all we care about so whatever we have to do to go fast
0: and So is it like regular spandex or is it like compression spandex is it padded
1: there, there's, there's a bunch of different materials that we use, but it's basically like spanics. Think of like a, you see like a wetsuit, you know, like they're pretty tight to get into, but even though they're, but it's thinner than a wetsuit. So it's not that warm. So it's, uh, yeah, it's hard to explain, but I would say a wetsuit's the closest thing you're going to get into it.
0: Okay. So, you know, most speed limits here in the United States, I would say the max is what, like 70 miles an hour. So you're going above the legal speed limit on this narrow track that is coated in ice, right? And you're mm-hmm. competing against how many other guys from all over the world?
1: Uh, so a World Cup is 32 guys, and the Olympics, it's 40 guys. So I would say every race weekend, you have to qualify into the World Cup. So you can see anywhere from 50 to 70 guys trying to uh, qualify for those World Cups on the weekends. So okay. it's, it, yeah, we'll have like 120, 140 athletes all like showing up to the track every week um, wherever we go in the world, trying to race in those World Cups.
0: Okay. And you are a three-time Olympic athlete, correct?
1: Three-time. Okay. 2010 in Vancouver, 14 was Sochi in Hong Chang, 2018. Okay.
0: So how old were you when you went to your first Olympics? Uh,
1: 21. 21.
0: So, okay. Yep.
1: Missed the 2006 Olympics by a 0.131 of a second over three runs. So wow. almost four-time Olympian. Uh, but, yeah, we don't send the alternates, so I did not go. But I was 17 at the time, and that would have been a pretty big upset.
0: Okay. And so you're actually training right now to be in your fourth
1: Olympics. Yep. So that's going to be – we're closing in. I think it's like 16 months away. So it's it's getting close. Um, but it's, it's two seasons. So we're supposed to start this world cup season next month over in Europe. And we have, we have this season and next season before the Olympics.
0: Okay. And so you are, there's a bunch of Americans who are now competing to be on the Olympic team and only three of you make it right. Yeah. Okay. So how many guys are you usually competing against for those three slots?
1: Uh, so this spring we'll have, we'll have race offs, uh, and I don't know how many guys it's going to be. The the thing with luge is that it's an experience based sport. So it's you, you know you can see someone getting better, and you're like, oh, in two or three years they're going to be really good because it's it's all about finesse. Um, like we control the sled with our entire body, so it takes decades to um to, to make it to the top of these tracks. Where like skeleton and bobsled, you can get into a skeleton sled or a bobsled. And within one or two weeks, you can be going off the top of track where in Luz, it'll take five to six years to like competently get down the track. So when you get older, it's like you make it to the World Cup, like at 21 years old, that's when you can't race juniors anymore. And so what happens is Junior athletes will come in and they'll like try to make it in the World Cup when they're 21, 22, 23. And, you know, there's not a lot of money in the sport. So if you're not making it to the World Cup real quick, it's kind of hard to stay in the sport. So I'm uh, I've been in the sport for a long time now. So I'm really fortunate where it's like I broke through that barrier, made it onto the World Cup. But you'll see probably eight to 12 guys that are good that are like, okay, we they all have a shot to make the Olympic team. Cause it is an experience-based sport and uh, the young guys, they just need some more time. Okay. And you bring up an interesting point too, because like most other countries, it seems like
0: a lot of other countries are subsidized by their government. The athletes are to be able to train. They've got, they've got uh, places where they actually can live and food is provided for them. And with most Olympic athletes, you're, you're pretty much on your own. Is that, isn't that right?
1: Yeah. So it's, Okay, let's just say it this way, like, you like the Olympic, uh, the Olympic Committee, the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, they do provide resources to athletes. So there are training centers, you have to qualify to get into those training centers. Um, so it's like, getting to a certain level is the hardest part. Once you get funded, uh, like you have to, but you have to win a world medal. So yes I am to the point in my career where like i do i do get incentivized like I do get a stipend i can use the Olympic training center for food and housing um I live out in Salt lake City so that doesn't work but growing up like I would work full-time when i was 24 25 I have uh the pay stubs that showed like when the season ended in April until it started back up in october I averaged overtime with going to camps with doing all of my training also going to school online so it's it's not until you get to the higher levels in sport that you get taken care of. So it's like surviving and pushing yourself to that point where you are like, you know, a metal contender is what's really hard. And a lot of people forget that. Like some young athletes are like, oh, like here's Chris, like he gets like a stipend. And I'm like, yes, because at 24, 25, like I was not getting that. So I was working full time, like as a bartender and a uh, wedding, like I worked weddings and events. Just because they're on the weekends like it didn't interfere with training yeah I stayed up really late some nights just like working till three in the morning but it allowed me the financial security to go like and be a better athlete so it's the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee does do a pretty good job providing those resources but you have to qualify for those resources and that's the really difficult time that people struggle um, is getting to that point so I was lucky I broke through I survived it was terrible but now I'm like I feel pretty comfortable and ready to give a hundred percent in uh, Beijing
0: yeah that's awesome because for you to be able to endure all of that uh, you know the uncertainty of I mean you didn't know if you were actually going to be making the team and so you you had this, this dream and this goal of seeing where you wanted to go right and so a lot of the times it's not necessarily how inspiring that goal is, but what you're willing to endure and and go through in order to make whatever it is that you want to make happen, happen. So how did you have that kind of a belief in yourself to say that, you know what, I'm doing this. No matter what, I just, I got to have this. I want to do this. What was it that, was it just your natural competitiveness or were you inspired by just the idea of becoming an Olympic athlete? What was it?
1: Yeah, I think first and foremost, in order to like fully commit yourself, you really have to love what you're doing. And the good news is I really love the sport of luge. I think um, it really helped build me as a human being. Uh, That fear of going down the track and harnessing your fear was really important. Also, like I was diagnosed with ADHD at four years old, five, six, seven. I've got all the medical records when I was younger. And I find that luge is my medicine. Uh, also going down that full concentration, the ability to like not have external thoughts and just be doing one thing because it is so intense. So I love luge. I feel like luge is my medicine. Um, I think it it really helped build me into the worldly person that I am because I've been traveling to Europe since 13 years old uh, to compete. And uh, that's really kind of what drives me is just this absolute love. And like, for instance, like we all have to make sacrifices and you set goals and my goal, yeah, it was to make the Olympics, but I really do believe and did believe that I could be one of the best luge athletes in the world. And as I, I said, like I was working full time till 24, 25, like as like uh, working wedding events, bartending, and then on season I got a medal, like in a World Cup. And then I could, I could retire from working part time and focus solely on luge. And I got to the point where I was ranked third overall in the world uh, three years ago. So, and then all of a sudden, for some reason, something changed and I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. So two years before the Olympics, I'm thinking like, wow, like third over in the world, I'm meddling. Like this is just going to go upwards and onwards. And then it didn't. And then that next season, I didn't get really the results I was looking for. It was like 12th place was my best. And then going into the Olympic season, um, I was actually the last US guy to qualify. And because I'm an athlete rep for USA Luge and also the International Luge Committee, I'm on the executive board of the International Federation of our local like USA Luge. And because that I'm privy to some information. So I knew that I was actually ranked last in the high performance plan. So they're like, okay, how are we going to allocate equipment? And it's not Chris at top. He's actually down here like at the very bottom. So I sold my car. Um, before the Olympic year to have cash on hand if I needed to buy any equipment and so it was like this struggle where like every race I wasn't getting the result I wanted and I didn't know why but it wasn't a, from a lack of trying sometimes we put in a hundred percent and we only get out 15 sometimes we put in 100 and we get out 200 so you know by putting in a hundred percent that doesn't necessarily mean a good outcome but the problem is I definitely I believe in myself and and in my passion, I, I know that I've done it in the past. Nothing had changed, which was weird. And that's when I talked about like equipment um, and and having resources, and that even though it is just a sled, I'm working with a NASCAR team right now to help with aerodynamics because I learned how important aerodynamics were. So, honestly, basically going into the Olympics, I sold my car that season, I purchased steels from Slovakians, all this equipment to, to help me how out.
0: How much does a sled cost?
1: Uh, you can't really put a price on it because no one sells the kind of racing sled. Every nation has its own proprietary like technology, so uh, you could you can't buy one. If you want to buy a simple one, it's like probably five thousand dollars. But to buy the actual like parts with the research and development, you're you're easily looking over 20, 25 grand for just a bunch of fiberglass and some metal, which okay. is which is wild. Um,
0: so- So you sold your car to be able to just pay for your expenses to be able to continue
1: doing what you love to do. Expenses were paid for like I was on the team. And so they'll pay for you to go around the world. But during the entire World Cup season that year, I only made $750 in prize money before the Olympics. So I wasn't doing very well. Um, So it really isn't like a money-based sport, but I was ready to give up. With two races before the Olympics, like I, I put a post on social media, basically like I am not giving up like only one more race before the Olympics. And basically the way it works, if I didn't medal um, in those two races, I would have to be retired. I would lose my stipend. I'd lose my funding. And even though I love this sport, I basically had to give up. And the craziest thing happened in the last race, um, we were in Latvia, which is a tiny country in the Baltics. It's by, uh, it's like Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Russia's right next to it. And um, this Russian athlete reached out to me. Uh, well, actually, his teammate did and basically was like, Chris, like, can you come to the track? I want to talk to you. And this is during the Russian doping scandal. So like they basically are are, are going through this whole process, Sochi Russian Olympics and doping. So the Russians actually don't even know if they're going to the Olympics at this point. And this one athlete who doesn't speak English, I don't speak Russian, but we have a friendship because we've like known each other for a decade. And uh, through his teammate who translated, he basically said that he wanted me to use his sled because if he couldn't go to the Olympics and win a medal, he wanted me to be able to like win a medal on his sled because he knew that like I was struggling. And that's something that doesn't happen. Yeah. Ever. So I used his sled uh, for training, which is like like everyone was like, how the hell did you get a Russian sled? And it was like all the coach, Russian coaches were fine with it, all the Russian athletes were fine with it. And even though it was it was too small for me, the the mechanics didn't work. I I realized a couple things about my own sled. So that night I went back and I made these small little changes. Like I just made my feet a little bit wider um, and all this. But literally like when he said that he wanted to give me a sled, like I remember driving back to the hotel, like crying hysterically because like it was the nicest gesture I've ever seen. Like, you know, a Russian athlete willing to help a U.S. athlete just because like he's seen me struggling for two years. And uh, that race with those little tiny changes, I got sixth place and all of a sudden going into the Olympics, even though it was more than likely going to be my last race, I was completely content with who I was. Like the big thing that people and athletes do is they, uh, you know, they they make results, like their basis for who they are. Like, oh, I'm Chris, like these are my results. That's a reflection of who I am, where I learned over those two years of struggle to separate results from like who I am personally. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me because going into those Olympics, like, okay, I know I can be fast. I know I'm the most consistent athlete. I've got one of the best starts, and I'm ready for this. And so I never felt nervous at all. It was more like I am ready to just perform. And, uh, yeah, it's just basically I did all my homework, you know, like I studied for the test that was the Olympics. And when it counted most, instead of this really serious game face, I was smiling because it was like man i've put so much into this it's not it's not a reflection if i mess up it's just it's time for me to perform and this is what i live for so it was it was the coolest it was the coolest thing but i don't think i ever would have got there without all of those years of struggle like the struggle created the moment like harnessing that fear of of failure harness the moment that i was like able to perform like like 100% without any sort of like stress or nervousness.
0: Yeah. So it's it's more like it's don't wish that it was easier, wish that you were better. And that's what I love about competition and sport and you know I still do triathlons because I love a challenge. I love to have a goal and it's not necessarily me competing against someone else it's me competing against myself to be my best self. And it's interesting that you say that as soon as you learn to let go of the outcome and you stopped identifying your self-worth with your outcome, wouldn't you say that's when you started to uh, be able to show up less like, you know, like uh, in, in Top Gun when he says, you know, you're holding on too tight, Mav. you're holding on too tight. Where you just <laughs> learn to let go and you're able to just kind of almost feel what it's like to uh, have, uh, it's like being, you know, allowing that zone where you, you drop into that zone where it's almost as if like, it's kind of an out of body experience. Can you say, a little bit,
1: yeah, no, I, for for sure. And, you know, Amy said, kindness goes a long ways. Absolutely. It does. And funny thing. So he, he's a world champion, two time world champion now. So like he, nicest guy. I don't speak Russian. He doesn't speak English, but again, a lot of smile, smiles go a long way. That's an international language that everyone gets, even Russians. <laughs> Cause he is Russian. And they don't smile all the time, but if you get them one on one, they do. But yes, when it when it comes to like holding on, like I notice just like when I play golf, if I'm gripping too tight, it doesn't yeah. work. You have to relax your hands just a little bit. Or if you're so focused on like the outcome, if you're so focused on a specific thing, you don't you lose focus on other things. So kind of with luge, like. We do what's called visualizations. So every day, I can only get three to six runs uh, on a good day. The World Cup, you get six runs in an entire week. So the only way to train more is not to train more on the track. It's to train in your mind. So I'm actually literally closing my eyes and going over what I'm supposed to do, like run after run after run, basically creating my autopilot. But when I get to the handles, I'm not thinking like, oh, yeah, curb seven, you know, do this little thing. It's like when I get to the handles, I have to let go of all of those individual things and think of like a bigger picture. And it's just like, okay, I've got this. Like trust yourself. And that's a really big thing is trust and trusting yourself because there's so many times we don't know what the outcome is going to be. So how do you trust like, you know, what's go- what's going on? But. Learning how to let go in really tense situations is so important, especially in sports. Like butterflies, great thing. Nerves, that's okay. Just you have to harness it.
0: You said you weren't ne- you weren't nervous when you got up to the, the – when you're at the top of the illusion, you're about to to go down for your run. You're saying yeah. you're not nervous because it sounds like you're in the moment and you're just like – you know, you've put in the work, you know, you've prepared, you've done your visualizations. And at this point, like, take us through like when you know you are representing your country with millions of people watching you and you're at the top of the the run there and you've got the, is it the metal bar that you like swing back and forth on?
1: You got the handles on the side that you're rocking back and forth on.
0: Exactly. And so do you, I mean, you don't, so are you just saying you're like, you're so in the moment where you're just like, You're like, okay, I'm just gonna enjoy this moment and and go for it. Or do you ever get to the point where you're like, okay, this is like insane. I've got millions of people (laughs) watching me in spandex and I'm about to fly down 90 miles an hour and compete against all these other guys from all over the world.
1: Step one is getting comfortable in spandex. All right, that's actually one of the hardest things to do but like you just get comfortable in spandex. Uh, But yeah, like I'm nervous not on the handles i'm nervous before like the handles like i'm nervous the day before you know like when i'm thinking about what i'm trying to accomplish and it's okay to be nervous you just have to focus on the process and i think nerves are a really good thing because fear is a great instinct to have it's really important to feel fear because that first off like makes you more aware and it makes situations serious and you're going to react faster and hopefully uh more predictable but yeah, when you're on the handles in that really intense moment, it's not about like people watching you because like I've been doing loose since I was eight years old. Um, like, so for me, I, I actually had a really big advantage in Pyeongchang and that's because it was negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit and growing up in Lake Placid, Northern New York. Um, you know, Saranac Lake is actually where my parents live. And if you look up Saranac Lake, coldest places in the United States, you'll see that this little town, Saranac Lake, is one of the coldest places in the country. So everyone's freezing, everyone's nervous, but I was in my element. So it's, it's important to like, embrace the things that kind of like, you know, might make people nervous. Uh, you have to embrace the fear. Like there is a serious realization, that, like I can get hurt anyone that I go down but that's okay it's it's better to be to feel that little bit of nerves and then use it to your advantage but like when you're on the handles you just have to be confident w- with yourself and all of the training and hard work that you put in but yeah of course you're going to be scared if you haven't put any training in right like that's the scariest thing for me so uh, totally sidetracked but like i did dancing with the stars 2 years ago and that was terrifying for me because i <laughs> I'm only training for a couple days beforehand supposed to perform at this elite level where like with Luz, it's like, yeah, I've done this my whole life. I got this. But with dancing with the stars, I'm like, what's the first step? Uh, I'm watching the countdown like 10, nine and I'm like, Oh God, Uh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I'm like, okay, there it is. Go.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about that as well. Um, So dancing with the stars, you competed in 2018, I believe. Yep. Okay, so um, who's your who's your partner?
1: Uh, oh, Whitney uh, Carson.
0: Okay, and you guys made it. What you were fourth place, I think. Right. Yeah, it was
1: it was a shortened season. It was an athlete only uh, season, which was a lot of fun. But yeah, it was only uh, four episodes, and we just made like missed the finals. But again, in the finals were two figure skaters who that's their entire life. So like everyone forgets that like. This is their job. They've trained their entire life to be artistic. Um, uh, Like Whitney called me brick at first because I had bricks for feet. Because I'm just used to, I can point my toes, which is great because of the sport of luge. But besides that, I didn't really have a lot going on. So that was a ton of work, but a lot of fun. I love learning new things. How much, how long did
0: you guys uh, train every day for for Dancing with the Stars when you were on it?
1: So they wouldn't let us train all day. Like we could only, I think it was three or four hours we could get in the studio. So that's what was really nice. That was one thing I brought from Luge to Dancing with the Stars is the visualizations, the ability to like go over my dance moves at night, just think and be like, okay, we're going to do these steps. And then the next day would come back and it was like, boom. It was like we had a couple extra hours of training.
0: Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's my secret desire. So, you know, dancing with the stars, (laughs) we'll see if whatever happens, but uh, these,
1: the figure skaters that go on the show, they are, they're excellent. And it's like, yeah, I've got some moves. And you're like, then their fingers are just perfect. Like, you know, everything is like just flowing from their body. And it's like, wow, that's just another level that I don't have
0: (laughs) more difficult competing on dancing with the stars or competing for an
1: olympic medal at the olympics see i would i would say dancing with the stars for me but it, it, it's it's really tough because oh man yeah i would say i would say dancing with the stars was more difficult than the olympics but that's because it wasn't i wasn't practicing as much as i wanted to
0: yeah you, you can get some microwave food there
1: No, no, no. It's not a Grubhub this time. Just Amazon. What's great about having a distribution center here is that it comes same day.
0: Okay. (laughs) Um, I've got a few questions from some of my uh, viewers who I did a little Facebook live earlier today. And uh, first question comes from Julia Thompson. She asks, how much willpower does it take to be an Olympic athlete? And how do you keep motivated?
1: See, that's. That honestly, motivation is the hardest thing because it's not every day. It takes years of dedication. And yeah, when you start out going for an Olympic sport, the people at the top of your discipline are so insanely good. Like now people specialize in the craziest of things. And to get to that top level, it takes a lot of commitment, self-drive, and years, you know, years. And so, of course, you're going to lose motivation. Uh, you're going to get an injury. Uh, injuries are probably the easiest setbacks, like nagging, like back pain. Um, like I, I actually tore two tendons in my, uh, my finger seven weeks ago, and this has been a pain. It's a brace, so, uh my, my finger doesn't move side to side. And uh, yeah, it, it's hard to go in with injuries and mentally pushing yourself every single day. But the best way to do that is to journal at night and in the morning. Just write down what you're trying to accomplish. Wake up, write down the same exact thing, and it starts your day off right. It puts your mind in a better position to go to bed. And you just got to live it. And it's tough. Uh, I, can't, I can't sugarcoat it. Changing and, and your life, your habits, and your routine to, to do something that very few people do is challenging. And that's why only a very few people can do it. But it's possible. We're not superheroes by any means. Just have a, we're stubborn. (laughs) We listen all the time. We just kind of push forward. We don't listen to our bodies. Um, We have a lot of help along the way too. That's the big thing. You got to surround yourself with people that help get you there.
0: Yeah, I was just, that was going to lead into my next question. You have to have an amazing support network of not only coaches and other athletes, but you're married, right?
1: Yep. Yep. We got married, uh, yeah, this past year.
0: Yeah. So I met your lovely wife, Mara in Utah a few weeks ago. Yep. And, uh, you know, with what you're doing, I mean, you are, what you are doing is you are a world-class athlete. You have devoted your life to doing something that very few people on this planet are able to do. And with, with that comes a lot of sacrifice. And I would imagine that with all the traveling and the training that you're doing, um, Mara has to be incredibly patient and supportive to be able to know that, you know what, because you're, you're going to be gone for weeks, months on end, right?
1: Yeah. It's, um, so before meeting Mara, I, to say I was nomadic, uh, is an understatement. There was a two-year period where I literally was in the same location for no longer than two weeks ever before flying or driving to another country. Every two weeks for two years, just on the road, going, 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 going. Um, And yeah, communication is tough. Uh, Eight hour time zone change is the absolute worst. Uh, But those are all things that we can get through. And that's that's the beautiful thing about Mar and I's relationship is that she understands that. Literally, I'm... In a sled room, working on my sled, I am at the track, I am working out. It is just a nonstop thing. So she just knows that like there's nights that we don't talk to each other. Like we can go two or three days where our schedules don't line up. You know, she's really busy. She owns her own business. And I think we both give each other enough space. And that's been really important is being able to give the other person space when they need it. But also understanding that that person's there for you, even though physically they're not. Uh, last year here in Salt Lake City, I left middle of September. I got back May 9th. so <laughs> wow. it's, it's, it's
0: crazy. How go? yeah, how many weeks do you guys go where you're not you're physically not
1: together? We don't like to go more than more than eight. Um, at eight it really does get tough, especially with the time zone change where like I'm staying up either really late or waking up early in the morning or she's doing the same. So we try not to go more than eight weeks. So the schedule, like uh, World Cups, come to North America. So she'll go to North American races. Last year she came to Sochi, Russia, for our World Championships. So we, but but again, like you know, finances are a part of this. So you can, we're trying to do as much as we can. Uh, I wish she was on the road more with me, but she also has a business and a life here in Salt Lake City, and uh, yeah, it's. You know, communication, clear communication, um, a calendar that we both sync up. <laughs> it, it, I actually had to do a lot of changing because I was this nomadic, like, yeah, let's go here. Let's go there. Like, I wouldn't plan too much. Now I'm like, okay, we gonna plan 12 weeks from now where we're going to be. Yeah. And that's well, important.
0: Mara is a planner. She actually is an event planner, wedding planner. If anyone is out there and needs an amazing, incredible, beautiful event put on, just call Chris's wife. She will do the best, most amazing job for anything that you need.
1: So no, she's Utah's that. premier wedding planner, and I'm not just saying that because she's my wife. She is unbelievable, like seriously, yeah. and an
0: absolute sweetheart as well. So, um, next question comes from Miss Amy Kraus. She asks, "How do you recharge your batteries?"
1: Ooh, that uh good question. So I love being outdoors. Um, That's part of the reason that I moved to Utah. Like Salt Lake City has the most amazing access to the outdoors of any major city I've ever been to. Where once you land at the airport, within 45 minutes you can be at six amazing ski areas. We have mountains that go 7,000 vertical feet up. uh, So up to 12,000 from five. So I I love getting outside. I enjoy the sunsets here. so for me to recharge, I just like to get out into nature and explore Southern Utah. I, I love the vastness of Southern Utah. It's a place that not a lot of people go, but like outside of the national parks. National parks are busy, but I've discovered some pretty cool areas that should be national parks, but you get it all to yourself. And that's how I recharge.
0: Yeah, Utah definitely is amazing. Um uh- next question comes from miss Ali court she asks how do you keep a healthy mindset in preparation for competing
1: <clears throat> yeah I, so to me mindset is like it's it's the number one thing like the biggest enemy and the biggest supporter are all between your ears um i know on my own personal enemy like i'm a perfectionist I hold myself to a really high standard so a lot of times like i can down on myself but believing in your process setting goals for yourself, um, accomplishing small goals. And honestly, just knowing that you're going to give a hundred percent, that's kind of what I, I say to myself before competitions, like regardless of how my equipment is like, I go into race races, knowing sometimes that I'm probably gonna get close to last place because my equipment is not working this week, but you still give it a hundred percent no matter what, even if you're failing, you always give a hundred percent. And, um, yeah, you look to, you know, control what you can control, and it, you know, works out sometimes, and most time it doesn't. But just never give up.
0: Yeah, yep, definitely. That's. Uh, I mean, it's, it sounds very similar to acting in the sense that you know, not you're not going to be your best every time. And when you're going to audition for a TV show or a film, you generally have to go through like four, five, six auditions until you get to that final round. And you have to be, and I usually use use this term. You have to be Olympic ready when you go into each and every one of those auditions, because if you're not, there's four, five, six, seven other guys that are going to be. So it's incredibly frustrating because you could be amazing in the first three, four, five auditions, and then I've gotten into that fifth audition, and for whatever that, for whatever reason, woke up. However, the stars aligned, and yeah. I it was just like I, I've done this four or five times before, like. Why did it not work out this time? And it's hard not to beat yourself up when you know that you're capable of doing something and that you just didn't deliver on that day. And that is something that I give you and so many other athletes out there, you know, a, a ton of credit because, you know, it's it's all about, you know, you work so hard for this one little moment. And then just even to see like, you know, whether the, it's like uh, my nieces are gymnasts and you see like when you watch the Summer Olympics and you see... These amazing gymnasts, and you know they've spent hours and hours and hours in the gym and have worked their their little hearts off and they wobble or fall off the balance beam and you just yeah. it's like oh, <laughs> and it's just crushing because you know that you know it's it, it's hard not to say okay well I didn't get the gold medal so you know what am I what am I and it, you know was it was it all pointless and I think you bring up a very good point it's important not to attach yourself to the result, but stay in the moment of what it is you're doing, and 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 do it for the pure love and the joy of what you're doing. Because that's what I love about acting. Even if I don't get the role, I just love what I do. I mean, it's it's I can't not do it. That's why I do it.
1: And a hundred percent. And that was like the biggest thing for me before the Olympics was like detaching my self worth from results. Um, but but also like going in hundred percent every time, but not getting upset like when I was failing. Like okay, I just need to keep going in a hundred percent. And for whatever reason, you know, there's there's things that are also out of your control. Um, and it's true. And there are but there's a difference, right? Like there are things out of your control, but it's it's important to realize that, but also not blame solely on that, right? Like the second you're like, oh, it's not my fault because of this, this, and that. There's always things you can do better. Like I've never had a perfect run. I can always do better, um, and I and I think that's something that's important. Is like take accountability. Even if you give a hundred percent and you fail, it's okay. At least you gave a hundred percent. Let's come back and do it again. But if you fail and you're like, "Oh, it wasn't my fault," that's a really slippery road. And then there's complacency. And then it's like you just you just start like basically finding excuses for failure where it's you just have to sometimes like you know i see people traveling they're like oh you know like oh i'm gonna go to this location and i'm gonna learn about myself and i've learned that like learning about myself happens in a room by myself sometimes it's dark, and you get through that period of like internally going into yourself and being like you know what i'm actually an okay person but you need to almost like Get all stimulation, everything out of that room where you just focus in on yourself and you become happy with who you are. Because on the inside, like we all are pretty amazing people that are capable of so many things. You know, it's just, we just, you know, some things are more publicized, but you can be an amazing friend. You can be amazing at anything, but you have to be okay with yourself first.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's hard with, especially when, you know, we look at it in the, in the media and we see so many people getting recognized for, you know, being, having so many YouTube subscribers or Instagram oh, yeah. followers and, and all that stuff. And it's just, it's you, you bring up a really good point. It's important to just find out what it is that you love to do. And not only do I find out more about myself when I am in those quiet moments, because it is important to take that time that recovery to just i oh, yeah. need to myself to just kind of reflect and to uh, tap into that creative artist side of my brain But i learn about myself when i do face something that it scares the hell out of me and i do <laughs> anyway sure. cuz that's what i find out what my limits are <laughs> what you know what i'm what i know i'm capable of and what i'm not capable of and then if it's something that i really care about like wanting to become a professional actor how can I get the help in order to get over that hump of getting to where yeah. I want to go yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And, and that's the, and that's another thing right like it's all also about the team that you surround yourself with the people that you surround yourself with um is so incredibly important too like yeah I, I fully believe that finding out who you are on the inside and be comfortable with yourself is such an important thing that we all need to do but then finding the right people to surround yourself with that, you know, that motivate you, that push you, that make you feel good about yourself. Um, that's so important. And that's something that's really hard. And I'm not saying surround yourself with like-minded people. It's good to have some diversity and different viewpoints, um, which is great as an athlete because there's not like, there's a gam. There's like, everybody is so different. Personalities are so big. So it's easy to do that. But yeah. Um, yeah. Surrounding yourself with people, like I'm sure you know, in acting, right? It's hard because there's only one part, right? So you feel like there's a fight almost to get that one spot, and I kind of feel like that with Luge a little bit. But you know, when you're auditioning, you're really just going. And I don't know anything about the acting world, but I'm just thinking like it's you out there, right? It's you versus yourself. And even though like other people are are amazing, it's that's okay, you just have to fight with yourself. And that's why, that's the mentality I take. Like when I go to lose races, most of my competitors are some of my best friends, right? We have so many things in common. We have so many similar life experiences, like we get each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, So even though we're competing head to head and it's like, I wanna beat you on the track. It's like, once the race is over, it's like, we're all friends. And that's like, I think one of the best mindsets to have is, Beat beat them on the field, but, you know, support each other to that point. I want to beat you at your best.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, I think with acting, it's, I would say, a little bit different than competing in a sport because with acting, people may say, like, yeah, uh, you are competing against these eight other actors for this role. I don't look at it as competition. I look at it as who is the best fit for this role. It's similar to, it's similar to, like, going on The Bachelor, where you've got the one woman and she's got like the choice of like 10 guys and it's like okay you may think that they're like competing against each other but it's not necessarily competition it's what's the right fit who has the best chemistry Um, and my acting teacher would always say it's not you choosing the role it's the character choosing you and the right actor for that role so in a much the same thing where you said as soon as I started to learn to let go of the attachment of getting the job when I walked into that room the more and the more I walked into the room of like you know what I'm either going to get this or I'm not and if I'm right for this I will get it and if there's a better if there's another actor who has more of the essence of what this character is then that's going to be undeniable and that's just the way it is and as soon as you can just recognize and accept that you're not going to win every single time you go out, but you put your best foot forward. And then you just know that whatever the outcome, whatever outcome happens, that it's going to be better for you in the long run, because why would you want to be in something uh, that wasn't, wasn't meant to be, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but with, with competition and with, uh, with sports in particular, I mean, it is like fractions of a second can mean the difference between first place and 10th place.
1: So well, 27,000 is what I lost gold by. I got silver by 27,000 of a second, 0. 0.027 over four runs. So that's, crazy. that's literally fractions of a second. Yeah. And a good crazy. friend, Dominic from Italy, he got fourth and he finished two thousandths behind third place. He missed an Olympic medal by two thousandths of a second over like Three and a half minutes of racing—that's crazy. Little things. It is literally the little things.
0: Yeah, it, it definitely is. So, um, I have one last question for you from uh, Zulima Avis, and her question is: What is your greatest
1: fear? You know, it's um, I would I would initially say like it it is my my greatest fear is. The fear of failure at something that I would like to be good at because I put a lot of time into it, but also that fear of failure is what drives me to be better. And I think that's what scares me is that, you know, if I'm going in 100%, I'm going in 100%. And it's never good to fail. And that's why, like, I, uh, you know, I think getting comfortable with fear is something I'm trying to do every day. And so that probably is my greatest fear. It's not hurting myself. Uh, I feel pretty comfortable with that. Like, I know I'm, I do a risky sport, but it's, um, yeah, it, it's the fear inside me of not showing up 100% ready to go in something that I absolutely love and failing because of that. Uh, yeah. So it's not fear. Yeah. Sorry. My mind went all over the place. It's not the fear <laughs> of failing, it's the fear of showing up not 100% ready to go in something that I want to succeed in. Um, and that's what drives me to get ready.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, cool, well, um, one last, this uh, This question is really last quick question before we get into uh, our special little thing that we all, I wanna do, because I oh, know yeah, you do yeah. that. But uh, Chloe St. Cyr asks, what are you most proud
1: of? I think I'm most proud of before the olympic like winning an olympic medal i was is coming to the realization that i am i'm comfortable with who i am and it's it's funny my greatest my greatest accomplishment and this is even before the olympics uh cr- crazy thing like i'm sorry I have to take a couple minutes here so the olympics is something that's is is crazy because logistically um it's something that no one goes through so there's all these like Procedures that, that don't really work because we're still trying to figure it out. So Luge happens day one, day two. So we're there a couple of days before the opening ceremonies. So when all the things are going to mess up, they mess up when we're there. Um, at the Olympic ceremonies, uh, like transportation was a nightmare in Korea. Like, first off, the letters, you, you, the Korean alphabet and the English alphabet don't really, you can't really translate that. But at the end of the opening ceremonies, I'm back in the Olympic Village, you know, it's about 1130 at night. And my mom is like, hey, we got Mara onto the bus going to her hotel, we're walking back, my friends are coming in from Japan where they were skiing, and we have to keep for them at the hotel. So everything's great. And all of a sudden, I get a text from Mara, and she's like, "Um, I, I don't want to alarm you, but I was dropped off in a parking lot in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, what? So we talk and sure enough at midnight, the buses for no reason decided to deviate from their standard routes. Sure enough, she got dropped off in a parking lot like 10 miles away from where she was supposed to go. And she somehow was able to hitchhike back to the opening ceremonies. And at that time I went to my manager and I was like, Keith, I need a car keys right now. And he's like, why? And I'm like, because my life is falling apart. It's like next day is the Olympic races. And I am not going to sleep until I know, like, my friends lost the key. So that was another issue. And so at, like, one in the morning, I'm driving through, like, Pyeongchang, (laughs) dropping off my, like, fiance now wife, like, getting my friends all situated. And despite the, the craziness and the chaos of it and knowing that, like, my Olympics were about to begin the next day, I was totally comfortable with the situation, like, i I wasn't thrown off at all. like I understood that, like you know, it was so important for me to figure this out because I was the only person that could get access to a car and driving by myself at like one thirty in the morning the night before the Olympic race, it was like the most peaceful thing ever. I was completely comfortable with who I was, where I was. I didn't care about the results. I knew i I could do really well. I had to perform, and it was one of the coolest experiences like. Just really understanding who I was, and that was probably my greatest success. And that happened before the Olympic medal. And I really believe that's why I got an Olympic medal was that, that confidence and understanding of who I was, and also yeah. driving at one thirty in the morning, like before an Olympic race. <laughs> Not a lot of people know that. Like the U.S. Olympic Committee, they're probably like, "What?" <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Well, Since I'm I sure I like a car. <laughs> uh, the biggest hug when she saw you.
1: Yeah, 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 And then the rest is history. But Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Well, do you have a few minutes to do this uh, little friendly competition that we have planned here? Let's do it. All right. So, you know, obviously Sam Smith was supposed to be here tonight. He couldn't make it, and you were gracious enough to jump on here. And since we're both competitive, I figured, you know what? Why not do a little Sam Smith lip sync, and we can have people judge and let us know who you think did it better all right you guys ready for a little uh, friendly competition here
1: right. I, I don't have a nice british accent i just want to state that for the record so don't deduct point because of that
0: well thank god we don't have to actually sing the damn song because sam Good. has an annoying voice and it's very high <laughs> okay. a little higher than my voice range all right you ready let's do it okay I'm getting into character. All right, Chris, you are up next.
1: Uh, Mute, so okay, that's scary. Okay. <laughs> you hear the music? Um, no, couldn't hear it at all. Okay, I couldn't either, so <laughs> I was like, you're just going for it. Well done.
0: All right, I can play it for you, though. You ready?
1: I'm, yeah, a little music is good.
0: Okay. Can you hear that? Seem to I don't want you to leave. you hold my hand? Oh, won't you stay with me? Cause you're. Mine. Okay, that's enough. I've right tortured everyone up thoroughly, <laughs> um, so I'm sure we will hear on Facebook who did it better. Um, you know, I think we just both thoroughly butchered that. Probably. So, uh, yeah, why don't we just end try to end on a high note here by asking the eight ball a question? What do you say?
1: Let's do it. All Are you right. asking a question first, or do you want me to ask one?
0: This is all you. So you get to ask the eight ball a question. All right?
1: All right. So, all right. Chris, this, this, this is big for, for, for Luge right now. Will we have a World Cup season during COVID? Okay. Will we have a World Cup season during COVID? So We're that- trying right now. We're trying. But
0: Chris can keep going on his pursuit of another Olympic medal.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Okay. All right. We're looking at. It's no, it's okay. It's okay. You, don't have to you say. may rely on it. Okay. Okay. No, it's you not guaranteed. To, it's April, we can rely on it. All right, Chris, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being such an inspiration. You know, when we, uh, when we turn on the TV, we uh, are watching Olympic athletes like yourself. I think sometimes we, we don't appreciate the the energy and the effort and the commitment that it takes to get there. And I just want to say when we do see athletes like yourself representing our country, it's not just, you know, you're not just a person, you're representing, you know, so much to so many people. And for you to be going out there and pursuing your dreams and to overcome your fears to win a silver medal, that's not just for you, that's for all of us. And uh, there's a great sense of pride in all of that. So thank you, man. I appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, it's never a solo venture. There's so many people that go into this. And uh, yeah, it was awesome chatting with you. And yeah, just spreading some positivity, some motivation. Yeah, we're just normal people. We just, we're, uh, we're crazy and we're dedicated towards one thing. So <laughs> yeah, <it's great> to <laughs> know. anyone can do it. It just takes time.
0: Exactly. Well, it's great to know another fellow crazy ass person who does. What you do. So hopefully, uh, one of these days, you can get me on a luge and uh, send me flying down at ninety. Well, maybe not ninety miles an hour, but maybe like twenty miles an hour.
1: Yeah, you got to survive spandex first. That's the that's a big thing for people. You can survive yeah. that, and then you'll be okay. Okay,
0: <laughs> sounds good. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. Good luck with the rest of your season, and uh, all the best with you. I know you make an Olympic team. For those uh, people out there who are wanting to follow you, they can go to your Instagram handle, which is?
1: Mazder, my last name, which might be on the thing, but M-A-Z-D-Z-E-R. There's not many of us. It's a made-up last name, which is great for me because I have Mazder at everything.
0: (laughs) Awesome, dude. Thanks a lot for being here, and uh, hopefully I'll be out in Utah and see you again soon.
1: Absolutely. Please come out, and thank you so much for, uh, yeah, for listening. Thanks for yeah, having me, Colin. Absolutely. Thanks, man. All right. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you. All right, everyone.
0: Thank you so much for being here again. Premier episode of Coffee with Colin. You know, this is, uh, I'm doing this from my living room. So I don't claim to, to uh, be a professional talk show host at all. And I'm just trying to impress upon you that you don't have to be perfect or have it all figured out to do what it is that you love to do. I just love to connect with people. I love to make a positive impact on others. And if I let my own fears and insecurities get in the way of spreading joy, spreading inspiration, then I'd be sitting on my couch right now watching Netflix and I wouldn't be as fulfilled and as excited as being here with you all. And I hope you guys got some value out of tonight. And again, if you're looking to connect with more of this and uh, be a part of the community that we've been uh, putting together, feel free to reach out to me. You can shoot me an email at info at ColinEgglesfield.com. You can go to my website, ColinEgglesfield.com. And uh, again, thank you for being here tonight. We will see you next Monday night. And I'm uh, excited to be launching this next season two and having you all a part of it. All right, have a great rest of your night. I'll see you next week.